Act Two of Mr. H. A Farce by Charles Lamb. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please contact LibriVox.org. Mr. H. A Farce by Charles Lamb. Act Two. Scene One. A handsome apartment, well lighted. Tea, cards, etc. A large party of ladies and gentlemen, among them Melisinda. I wonder when the charming man will be here. He is a delightful creature. Such a polish. Such an air in all that he does or says. Yet gifted with a strong understanding. But has your ladyship the remotest idea of what his true name is? They say his very servants do not know it. His French valet, that has lived with him these two years. There, madam, I must beg leave to set you right. My coachman. I have it on the very best authority. My footman. Then, madam, you have set your servants on. No, madam. I would scorn any such little mean ways of conning at a secret. For my part, I don't think any secret of that consequence. That's just like me. I make a rule of troubling my head with nobody's business but my own. But then she takes care to make everybody's business her own, and so to justify herself that way. Aside. My dear Melisinda, you look thoughtful. Nothing. Give it a name. Perhaps it is nameless. As the object, come never blush nor deny it, child. Bless me, what great ugly thing is that that dangles at your bosom? This? It is a cross. How do you like it? A cross? Well, to me it looks for all the world like a great staring H. Here a general laugh. <laughs> oh. Malicious creatures. Believe me, it is a cross, and nothing but a cross. A cross, I believe, you would willingly hang at. Oh, intolerable spite. Mr. H is announced. Enter Mr. H. Oh, Mr. H, we are so glad. We have been so dull. So perfectly lifeless. You owe it to us to be more than commonly entertaining. Ladies, this is so obliging. Oh, Mr. H, those ranunculus you said were dying. Pretty things. They have got up. I have worked that sprig you commended. I want you to come. Ladies. La la la, la la la. I have sent for that piece of music from London. The Mozart? Seeing Melisinda. Melisinda. Nay, Nay, positively, positively Melisinda. You shan't embrace him yourself. While the ladies are pressing about Mr. H, the gentleman shows signs of displeasure. We shan't be able to edge in a word now this coxcomb is come. Damn him. I will affront him. Sir, with your leave, I have a word to say to one of these ladies. If we could be heard. The ladies pay no attention but to Mr. H. You see, gentlemen, how the matter stands? <laughs> I am not my own master. Positively, I exist and breathe, but to be agreeable to these... Did you speak? And affects absence of mind, puppy. Who spoke of absence of mind? Did you, madam? How do you do, Lady Werewell? How do? I did not see your ladyship before. What was I about to say? Oh, absence of mind. I am the most unhappy dog in that way sometimes spurt out the strangest things the most malapropos without meaning to give the least offence upon my honour sheer absence of mind 
things I would have given the world not to have said. Do you hear the coxcomb? Great wits, they say. Your fine geniuses are most given. Men of bright parts are commonly too vivacious. But you shall hear. I was to dine the other day at a great nabob's that must be nameless, who between ourselves is strongly suspected of being very rich. That's all. John, my valet, who knows my foible, cautioned me while he was dressing me, as he usually does where he thinks there's a danger of my committing a lapsus, to take care in my conversation how I made any allusion, direct or indirect, to presence. You understand me? I set out double-charged with my fellow's consideration and my own, and, to do myself justice, behaved with tolerable circumspection for the first half-hour or so, till at last a gentleman in company, who was indulging a free vein of raillery at the expense of the ladies, stumbled upon that expression of the poet, which calls them fair defects. It is Pope, I believe, who says it. No, madam, Milton. Where was I? Oh, fair defects. This gave occasion to a critic in company to deliver his opinion on the phrase. That led to an enumeration of all the various words which might have been used instead of defect, as want, absence, poverty, deficiency, lack. This moment I, who had not been attending to the progress of the argument, as the denouement will show, starting suddenly up out of one of my reveries, by some unfortunate connection of ideas which the last fatal word had excited, the devil put it into my head to turn round to the nabob, who was sitting next to me, and in a very marked manner, as it seemed to the company, to put the question to him, pray, sir, what may be the exact value of a lack of rupees? You may guess the confusion which followed. What a distressing circumstance! To a delicate mind. How embarrassing! I declare, I quite pity you. Poppy! A baronet at the table, seeing my dilemma, jogged my elbow, and a good-natured duchess, who does everything with a grace peculiar to herself, trod on my toes at that instant. This brought me to myself, and covered with blushes and pitied by all the ladies, I withdrew. How charmingly he tells a story, but how distressing! Lord Squander Council, who is my particular friend, was pleased to rally me in his inimitable way upon it next day. I shall never forget a sensible thing he said on the occasion, Speaking of absence of mind, my foible, he says, my dear Hogs. Hogs? Hogs? What? What? Ah. Huh? My dear Hogsflesh, my name. Hear a universal scream. Oh! Oh! Oh, oh my cursed, unfortunate tongue. H, I mean, where was I? Filthy, abominable, unutterable. Hogs? Filth. Disgusting. Vile. Oh, shocking. Odious. Hogs. Pop. A smelling bottle. Look to Miss Melisinda. Poor thing. It is no wonder. You had better keep off from her, Mr. Hogsflesh, and not be pressing about her in her circumstances. Good time of day to you, Mr. Hogsflesh. The compliments of the season to you, Mr. Hogsflesh. This is too much. Flesh and blood cannot endure it. What flesh? Hog's flesh? How he sets up his bristles. Bristles! He looks as fierce as a hog in armor. A hog?
Madam! Here he severally accosts the ladies, who by turns repel him. Extremely obliged to you for your attentions, but don't want a partner. Greatly flattered by your preference, but believe I shall remain single. Shall always acknowledge your politeness, but have no thoughts of altering my condition. Always be happy to respect you as a friend, but you must not look for anything further. No doubt of your ability to make any woman happy, but have no thoughts of changing my name. Must tell you, sir, that if by your insinuations you think to prevail with me— you have got the wrong sow by the ear. Does he think any lady would go to pig with him? Must beg you to be less particular in your addresses to me. Does he take me for a Jew to long after forbidden meats? I shall go mad to be refused by old mother damnable. She that's so old nobody knows whether she was ever married or no, but passes for a maid by courtesy, her juvenile exploits being beyond the farthest stretch of tradition. Old mother damnable. Exeunt all, either pitying or seeming to avoid him. Scene two. The street. Belville and another gentleman. Poor Jack. I'm really sorry for him. The account which you give me of his mortifying change of reception at the assembly would be highly diverting if it gave me less pain to hear it. With all his amusing absurdities, and amongst them not the least, a predominant desire to be thought well of by the fair sex, he has an abundant share of good nature, and is a man of honour. Notwithstanding all that has happened, Melisinda may do worse than take him yet. But did the women resent it so deeply, as you say? Oh, intolerably. They fled him as fearfully when twas once blown as a man would be avoided who was suddenly discovered to have marks of the plague, and as fast, when before they had been ready to devour the foolishest thing he could say. <laughs> so frail is the tenure by which these women's favourites commonly hold their envied preeminence. Well, I must go find him out and comfort him. I suppose I shall find him at the inn. Either there or at Melisinda's. Adieu. Exeunt. Scene three. Mr. H.'s apartment. Mr. H. Solace. Was ever anything so mortifying? To be refused by old mother damnable, with such parts and address, and the little squeamish devils to dislike me for a name, a sound. Oh, my cursed name! that it was something I could be revenged on, if it were alive that I might tread upon it, or crush it, or pummel it, or kick it, or spit it out, for it sticks in my throat and will choke me. My plaguy ancestors, if they had left me but a van, or a mac, or an Irish O, it had been something to qualify it. Meneer Van Hogsflesh, or Sawney McHogsflesh, or Sir Phelim O'Hogsflesh, but downright blunt. If it had been any other name in the world, I could have borne it. If it had been the name of a beast, as bull, fox, kid, lamb, wolf, lion, or of a bird, as sparrow, hawk, buzzard, door, finch, nightingale, or of a fish, as sprat, herring, salmon, or the name of a thing, as ginger, hay, wood, or of a colour, as black, grey, white, green or of a sound 
as Bray, or the name of a month, as March, May, or of a place, as Barnet, Baldock, Hitchin, or the name of a coin, as Farthing, Penny, Twopenny, or of a profession, as Butcher, Baker, Carpenter, Piper, Fisher, Fletcher, Fowler, Glover, or a Jew's name, as Solomon's, Isaac's, Jacob's, or a personal name, as Foot, Leg, Crookshanks, heavy side side bottom long bottom ram's bottom winter bottom or a long name as blunchenhagen or blunchenhausen or a short name as crib crisp crips tag trot tub phipps padge paps or prig or wig or pip or trip trip had been something but hot walks about in great agitation recovering his calmness a little sits down farewell the most distant thoughts of marriage the finger circling ring the purity fingering glove the envy pining bridesmaids the wishing parson and the simpering clerk farewell the ambitious blush raising joke the titter provoking pun the morning stirring drum no son of mine shall exist to bear my ill-fated name no nurse come chuckling to tell me it's a boy no midwife leering at me from under the lids of professional gravity I dreamed of Caudle. Sings in a melancholy tone. Lullaby, lullaby, hushaby, baby, how like its papa it is. Makes motions as if he was nursing. And then, when grown up, is this your son, sir? Yes, sir, a poor copy of me, a sad young dog, just what his father was at his age. I have four more at home, oh, oh, oh. Enter landlord. Landlord, I must pack up tonight. You will see all my things got ready. Hope your honour does not intend to quit the blue boar. Sorry anything has happened. He has heard it all. Your honour has had some mortification, to be sure, as a man may say. You have brought your pigs to a fine market. Pigs? What then? Take old prize advice and never mind it. Don't scorch your crackling for em, sir scorch my crackling a queer phrase but i suppose he don't mean to affront me what is done can't be undone you can't make a silken purse out of a sow's ear as you say landlord thinking of a thing does but augment it <laughs> does but augment it indeed sir augment it damn it i said augment it lord sir tis not everybody has such gift of fine phrases as your honour that can lard his discourse lard suppose they do smoke you smoke me oh, one of my phrases never mind my words sir my meaning is good we all mean the same thing only you express yourself one way and i another that's all the meaning's the same. It is all pork. That's another of your phrases, I presume. Bell rings, and landlord is called for. Anon, anon. Oh, I wish I were anonymous. Exeunt several ways. Scene four. Melisinda's apartment. Melisinda and maid. Lord, madam, before I'd take on as you do about a foolish... What signifies a name? Hogs hogs what is it is just as good as any other for what i see ignorant creature yet she is perhaps blessed in the absence of those ideas which while they add a zest to the few pleasures which fall to the lot of superior natures to enjoy 
doubly edge the superior natures a fig if he's a hog by name he's not a hog by nature that don't follow his name don't make him anything does it he don't grunt the more for it nor squeak that ever i hear he likes his victuals out of a plate as other christians do you never see him go to the trough unfeeling wretch yet possibly her intentions for instance madam my name is finch betty finch i don't whistle the more for that nor long after canary seed while i can get good wholesome mutton no nor you can't catch me by throwing salt on my tail if you come to that hadn't i a young man used to come after me they say courted me his name was lyon francis lyon a tailor but though he was fond enough of me for all that he never offered to eat me how fortunate that the discovery has been made before it was too late had i listened to his deceits and as the perfidious man had almost persuaded me precipitated myself into an inextricable engagement before no great harm if you had you'd only have bought a pig in a poke and what then <gasps> here he comes creeping enter mr h abject go to her mr hogs uh, ho hogs bristles what's your name don't be afraid man don't give it up she's not crying only summit has made her eyes red she has got a sty in her eye i believe going you are not going betty oh madam never mind me i shall be back in the twinkling of a pig's whisker as they say exit melisinda you behold before you a wretch who would have betrayed your confidence but it was love that prompted him who would have tricked you by an unworthy concealment into a participation of that disgrace which a superficial world has agreed to attach to a name but with it you would have shared a fortune not contemptible and a heart but tis over now that name he is content to bear alone to go where the persecuted syllables shall be no more heard or excite no meaning some spot where his native tongue has never penetrated nor any of his countrymen have landed to plant their unfeeling satire their brutal wit and national ill-manners where no englishman here melisinda who has been pouting during this speech fetches a deep sigh some yet undiscovered otaheite where witless unapprehensive savages shall innocently pronounce the ill-fated sounds and think them not inharmonious <sighs> who knows but among the female natives might be found Sir. raising her head one who would be more kind than some oberea queen oberea oh. or what if i were to seek for proofs of reciprocal esteem among unprejudiced african maids in monomotopa enter servant mr belleville exit enter belleville in monomotopa musing hey day jack what means this mortified face nothing has happened i hope between this lady and you I, I beg pardon madam but understanding my friend was with you i took the liberty of seeking him here some little difference possibly which a third person can adjust not a word will you madam as this gentleman's friend suffer me to be the arbitrator strange harky jack nothing has come out has there you, you understand me I oh i guess how it is somebody has got at your secret you haven't blabbed it yourself have you <laughs> i could find in my heart jack what would you give me if i should relieve you no power of man can relieve me <sighs> but it must lie at the root gnawing at the root here it will lie no power of man not a common man i grant you for instance a subject it's out of the power of any subject gnawing at the root there it will lie 
Such a thing has been known as a name to be changed, but not by a subject. Shows a gazette. Gnawing at the root. Suddenly snatches the paper out of Belville's hand. Ha! Pesh! Nonsense! Give it me! What? Reads. Promotions. Bankrupts. A great many bankrupts this week. There it will lie. Lays it down, takes it up again, and reads. The king has been graciously pleased. Gnawing at the root. Graciously pleased to grant unto John Hogsflesh the devil. Hogsflesh Esquire of Stye Hall in the county of Hants, his royal license and authority. O oh Lord, O oh Lord, that he and his issue, me and my issue, may take and use the surname and arms of Bacon. Bacon, the surname and arms of Bacon? in pursuance of an injunction contained in the last will and testament of Nicholas Bacon, Esquire, his late uncle, as well as out of grateful respect to his memory. Grateful respect! Poor old soul! Here's more! And that such arms may be first duly exemplified, they shall, I will take care of that, according to the laws of arms, and recorded in the herald's office. Come, madam, give me leave to put my own interpretation upon your silence, and to plead for my friend, that now that only obstacle which seemed to stand in your way of your union is removed. You will suffer me to complete the happiness which my news seems to have brought him, by introducing him with a new claim to your favour, by the name of Mr. Bacon. Takes their hands and joins them, which Melisinda seems to give consent to with a smile. Generous Melisinda, my dear friend. He and his issue. Me and my issue. Oh, Lord. I wish you joy, Jack, with all my heart. Bacon, bacon, bacon. How odd it sounds. I could never be tired of hearing it. There was Lord Chancellor Bacon. Methinks I have some of the virulent blood in me already. Methinks I could look through nature. There was a friar bacon, a conjurer. I feel as if I could conjure too. Enter a servant. Two young ladies and an old lady are at the door, inquiring if you see company, madame. Surname and arms? Show them up. My dear Mr. Bacon, moderate your joy. Enter three ladies, being part of those who are at the assembly. My dear Melisinda, how do you do? How do you do? We have been so concerned for you. We have been so concerned. Seeing Mr. H. Oh, Mr. Hogsflesh. There's no such person, nor there never was, nor tis not fit there should be surname and arms. It is true what my friend would express. We have been all in a mistake, ladies. Very true. The name of this gentleman was what you call it, but it is so no longer. The succession to the long-contested Bacon estate is at length decided, and with it my friend succeeds to the name of his deceased relative. His Majesty has been graciously pleased. I am sure we all join in hearty congratulations. <sighs> and wish you joy with all our hearts. Hi-ho! And hope you will enjoy the name and estate many years. <laughs> <laughs> Mortify them a little, Jack. Hope you intend to stay with us some time. In these parts. Ladies, for your congratulations, I thank you. For the favours you have lavished on me, and in particular for this lady's... Turning to the old lady. Good opinion. I rest your debtor. 
As to any future favours, accosts them severally in the order in which he was refused by them at the assembly. Madam, shall always acknowledge your politeness, but at present you see I am engaged with a partner. Always be happy to respect you as a friend, but you must not look for anything further. Must beg of you to be less particular in your addresses to me. Ladies all, with this piece of advice, of Bath and you, your ever grateful servant takes his leave. Lay your plan surer when you plot to grieve. See, while you kindly mean to mortify, another, the wild arrow, do not fly. And gall yourself, for once you've been mistaken. Your shafts have missed their aim. Hogsflesh has saved his bacon. End of Act Two End of Mr. H. A Farce by Charles Lamb